This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Even though all foods are processed to some degree, do you think you could go a full year eating foods that were as least processed as possible? That was the task taken by journalist Megan Kimball. She not only tried to eat foods that were had very little processing to them, but worked to produce them as well in a variety of different ways. It's a fascinating story that she talks about in her book, Unprocessed, My City-Dwelling Year, of reclaiming real food. And Megan is also contributor to the LA Times. She's managing editor of Edible Baja, Arizona, and she joins us on the show right now. Megan, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, it's interesting. Your book seemingly is partly about finding that line first where you felt comfortable with the foods that you were eating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most people ask me what makes food processed, and the answer is all food is processed, right? Cooking is a kind of process, so it's preserving. And for most of human history, processing was a really good thing. But, you know, only in the past 50 years, maybe, has that gone haywire. And I, most of my book is trying to figure out where do I, as an individual eater, want to draw the line? What makes food too processed for me? So where, where, what are some of the examples uh, of a food that, that you won't eat because it is seemingly too processed? And what are some of the ones that, that you do feel comfortable with? my year with the idea that a food was unprocessed if I could theoretically make it in my home kitchen. So, okay. for example, um, I did, in fact, buy whole wheat berries, um, and I had a little hand crank grain mill, and I ground it up into whole grain flour. So I mm. ate whole grain flour, but I couldn't at home take that a step further and make refined white flour because I didn't have, you know, industrial processing capacity or chemicals, so I didn't eat refined white flour. Um, you know, the same is true for the difference between honey, for example. You know, I know a lot of people here in Tucson where I live that have honeybees in their backyard. You gather that honey, and that's a natural source of sweetness. Mm-hmm. Uh, compare that to refined white sugar, which goes through you know dozen steps between sugarcane and that those crystals that land in your cabinet. And that to me was too processed. Uh, this is something though that you've been very interested in for quite some time. In reading some of the reviews on the book, this is this is a topic that that is really ha- has been in your thought process for for a good period of time. Yeah, I mean, I came to processed food because I had been interested in how our food systems impact the climate. You know, I've read what many of us have read about industrial agriculture and how large corporations are influencing our food system. And so I had been thinking about that for a long time, but didn't really know what to do about that. And so eating unprocessed was my way in. It was this attempt. I was, you know, I lived in the city. I lived in this tiny little apartment. I didn't have a garden. I didn't have a graduate student salary. And so it was my way of asking, you know, what can I do? What can any one person do to change the food system? And, that, you know, the answer to me is, is eat differently, buy different foods. So what was the biggest challenge you had over the, over the course of the year? The biggest challenge was um, the social one. So being an unprocessed eater in a world that is full of processed food. So going out to eat with friends, um, you know, going to conferences, going to work events, when yeah. I would say, hey, I'm actually not going to eat that pizza. So sorry. Um, so just sort of being out in the world, I, you know, I was lucky to have a really amazing supportive group of friends and coworkers who didn't mind my funny eating habits, but that was certainly hard to explain. 
But it's eating uh, foods that are have very little processing to them is one thing. But as you mentioned, you were making your own flour. In fact, I think you said in the in the book the first thing you made was a loaf of bread. How how difficult of a challenge was it to to actually do the production on it as well? That, I mean, that was certainly time consuming. Um, part of the reason that I wanted to try to do all these things at home was to understand how these foods are made. You know, I grew up in a as I said in a city. I'm grew up very disconnected from the source of my food. And so part of that experiment was to figure out, like, how, how is bread made? How is yogurt cultured? You know, how does one make cheese? And so by trying these things at home, I could kind of understand how to better draw that line for myself when I actually wanted to go to the store and buy a loaf of bread or when I wanted to outsource some food production to a producer in my community. How tough was the, was the transition for you? Because you, you write in the book about the night before you, you actually started this, you kind of went, you kind of went on a mini binge with, with all the other foods that you had in your, in your house. I sure did. Yeah. I mean, there were um, some foods that were really hard to cut. Sugar was one that was really, really hard to refrain from. I have a raging sweet tooth and sugar isn't everything. It's in all of our packaged foods. Yeah. Um, you know, you start reading ingredient labels on mustard or dress salad dressing or marinara sauce, and there's sugar in that. So um, it was really hard to stay away from sugar. Um, and so, you know, I had to find creative ways to fulfill that craving. So I made my own chocolate. I, um, you know, I learned how to bake differently. So I made a lot of, you know, baked goods at home so that I could have, you know, little treats for myself that weren't, you know, I didn't want to go a whole year. It, it, the idea was not about deprivation. It was about how can I find a new way to experience food. So how and that's my downfall as well is sweets. I think that's a majority of people out there. Uh, how how did you get around it in terms of just making your own chocolate? Yeah, so I learned how to make my own chocolate. It's really not hard once you figure out how to do it. You need um, cocoa butter and cocoa powder and lots of um, there are great a lot of local businesses that sell that. Um, and, you know, I, I use local honey, and I learned how to make it at home. Um, similarly, you know, I learned how to make chocolate chip cookies, which are my favorite food, um, yeah. using whole grain flour and butter and whole foods. And, you know, a, a side effect of that is when you're eating foods that are made with whole or close to whole ingredients, they're much more filling, they're much more satisfying. So when I previously, you know, would eat foods that are made with refined sugar or white flour, they, they don't fill you up until you can eat a lot more of them. But when you're eating foods that are made, um, that are, you know, quote unquote unprocessed, you, you can, you can eat less and still feel satisfied. You also, uh, in the book talk about, uh, the produce industry, which is uh, an area that in some respects, some people think that, you know, there isn't a ton of processing, uh, in that area, but in real and realistically, uh, realistic terms, there is a good bit of processing that goes on within, uh, the produce makers of, uh, of the U S and as well other countries. Yeah, it's an incredibly resource-intensive industry, and that was a, you know, examining how our produce gets to our tables. It's less about, the processing is less about that particular piece of produce as the industry surrounding that produce. So how many, how many resources does it require to get that orange, that watermelon from the ground, someplace like Mexico or Chile, to a Safeway or a supermarket on your street? And it turns out it's an incredibly resource-intensive process with lots of people um, it's required, it's, it's survival depends on pesticides, refrigeration, and semi-trucks, which make me nervous, you yeah. know, how, in terms of how sustainable and how secure that system is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely an incredibly processed system. How did also, how did doing this, did it change your eating habits? And I say that in terms of like the times of the day that, that you, you might've eaten beforehand. And did that change with this, with this change in your lifestyle? 
Um, it changed it only in the sense that I learned how to plan ahead. So, um, you know, I, I knew largely when I got up at, in the morning what I was going to eat that day because there's, you know, some amount of preparation that you have to do beforehand. So yeah. I still pack my lunch for work every day. You know, I make on the weekends or on Mondays, I make, you know, big, a big crock pot full of beans. I make a big thing full of whole grains and then I have whatever vegetables for my CSA share. And so I can quickly assemble unprocessed meals for myself. Um, and, and so it just requires more planning. How much have the stores like, like Whole Foods and, and Trader Joe's either, you know, helped or hurt uh, the whole process uh, with the food industry? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think that some stores like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, they have this aura of being natural. Yeah. Um, but once you sort of um, burrow in and start reading ingredient labels, you realize how many chemicals and added ingredients are still in those foods. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, scrut- to have scrutiny about what you're buying and what you're eating, even if you're shopping at a place like Whole Foods. Um, but I also think, you know, they make, uh, they also sell foods that are really great and don't have added ingredients. It's just a matter of kind of, you know, like at any store, you have to do your homework. You can't just go in and think that the store is going to serve your best interest. We're talking with uh, Megan Kimball, who is the author of the book Unprocessed, My City-Dwelling Year of Reclaiming Real Food. Uh, if you'd like to jump in the conversation, you're more than welcome to at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. It, it is interesting because your story is about, obviously, yourself and the change that one person made. And you take time through the book uh, of kind of giving tips and maybe relating ideas of how people could potentially change their lifestyle to maybe have a, a diet that is more related to least processed foods, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the idea is that this is my experience, but I, my hope is that people read this book and realize how not transparent our food system is and how they as consumers can make different choices, that we all are empowered to make those choices. We just have to decide to do it. Do you think, though, that we, we will see a, a drastic shift uh, you know, in years to come of, of the types of foods people will eat? Or is the industry and the food industry, and I mean the, the restaurant industry and, and grocery stores, is it, just, is it too big of a gorilla to try and defeat at this point? I think we have already seen changes, big changes since I wrote the book. Uh, since I started my year in process four years ago, things have already changed in the industry. So, for example, there was an article in Fortune magazine earlier this spring about how big food corporations are changing the food they're selling because consumers simply are not buying processed and packaged foods. So if we as, as individual consumers refrain from buying these foods, food companies will simply stop producing them. So yeah. I think that we have a huge opportunity as consumers to change the way the system works simply by our purchasing power. But it's also, it, it is a tough thing to, to try and break through for a lot of people, uh, especially when they're going to the grocery store, when the options for these types of foods are kind of tucked away in a, in a, in a small area and it's hard to get through uh, to them and you have to walk through all the other different foods as well. Yeah, I mean, the, I certainly agree that the odds are stacked against us. These food corporations have incredibly sophisticated marketing techniques. Um, and resources behind getting us to buy the foods that they want us to buy, which are high, um, high value, you know, chips and, and processed foods. But I do think that, um, you know, th- those foods are there and they're available to us yeah. um, if we just seek them out. 
Salt's another thing that, that, that you talked about in the book, and it, it's interesting because for the longest time, salt has been something that, you know, it, it's it's an additive, and it, obviously a lot was made years ago about, you know, the levels of salt that people put in their diet. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about your view on salt because it does have some positives along the way. Yeah, I mean, salt is one of those funny ingredients that I think has been demonized recently, and Salt for thousands of years has been a preservative. Um, and before we had artificial refrigeration, that's how we preserved food. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just sort of, that's one of those things where you have to, I think being conscious of how much is in your food is, is the important step. So when I cut out processed food, I suddenly incredibly reduced my intake of salt. So 90% of the salt that we eat comes from processed food. So once you've cut all that stuff out, you, you're free to sprinkle it liberally on, you know, your sautés and scrambles. Mm-hmm. And salt is a is a makes food taste better. You know, it's a flavor enhancer. It has all sorts of great benefits. So um, I, I see it as one of those foods that, um, when used sparingly, is really wonderful for our diet. How processed does the the beef industry have to be today and and going forward? And the same for the dairy industry. How processed does it have to be? Yeah, I mean, I mean, is there a possibility of with the with the industry with the way it is set up right now? Uh, there is a level that you like with all foods. You have to, you know, expect a, a level of processing to it. Is that it, maybe I should say it this way? Is that is that a a a, a, a foreseeable consequence of, of eating those foods or or using dairy products, or could that potentially be changed down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think that brings up a great point, which is to live in cities, we naturally have to outsource and process our food. So the reason that we have these large dairies and um, concentrated animal feeding operations is that we urban people really want to eat a lot of those foods and we don't want them to be produced in our spaces. So they're concentrated somewhere else. But I think that there is a way to dismantle that um, those huge concentrations of animals, which are incredibly damaging to the environment. By doing a couple of things, one is to, um, particularly in the case of meat, is to eat less meat. You know, we yeah. eat an incredible amount of meat as a nation, and I think that um, people talk about well, how can we produce the meat to to um, supply everyone without those kind of operations. And the answer is that we can't, but we don't need to be eating meat three times a day, in sure. my opinion. Um, you know, I think that the, the way that I was a vegetarian for a long time, but the way that I may eat meat is I buy it from local producers. So in southern Arizona, you know, there are a lot of cattle that are free-range. They, yep. um, they prickly pear and, and all of the natural forage here. And it's a lot more expensive, and so I eat it sparingly. Um, so I think that kind of deciding that we want to value our land and our resources means that we have to um, evaluate how we're producing those foods. But you also talk about the fact that there is also a level of politics in all of this as well that, that you kind of have to get past. Yeah, I mean, so I, my thing that I hope for everyone is that we reclaim our power as consumers to buy, to shape the food system. But the other hand is that our political system, you know, the reason that we have so much cheap processed corn, so much cheap processed sugar and soybeans is because of the farm bill. And until we rewrite the farm bill and, and subsidize the kinds of foods that the healthy foods that we want to be eating, you know, it's going to be the system is not going to change substantially. So I think that we both have to be involved as consumers and also get involved with our political system and shaping 
how the U.S. government subsidizes our food production. And, and it's also something, and, and I guess this is uh, probably a byproduct uh, of your book uh, in doing that, is to just bring awareness to issues like that so that people are more aware and maybe will try and influence change at the local level or maybe at the state and national level. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think kind of realizing how corporate our food system is might help people get to have different motivations for going to their farmer's market or joining a community-supported agriculture program. So, for example, 91 cents of every dollar that we spend on food in, in this corporate industrial system goes to middlemen. It goes to marketers, to retailers, to yeah. distributors. It doesn't go to the people who are growing our food. And so that, to me, is a huge motivation to seek out a local producer to ensure that they're getting more than nine cents on every dollar. Because if we don't support local producers, local food will go away. The, the other interesting thing I've, I've found in this book is that obviously the focus is on the type of foods that, that we put on their, uh, put in our body. But this is also, uh, you talk a little bit about the effect that these foods have on the earth, on the planet. And I, th- I find that very interesting, especially in this time where we're really concerned about a, a variety of diff- different issues in terms of how the earth is affected. Yeah, and that was one of my original motivators for eating unprocessed was seeing, um, you know, like I said, the sort of destruction caused on the earth by our food systems because that we've we've put them somewhere else where we don't have to see them. We don't have to see the consequences on our water, on our soil. Um, and so I think being aware of that and trying to find producers and companies that are transparent about how they're producing food. You know, if our if food companies are you know, cafos or dairies were more transparent, I think that there would be less of them because I think people would see, when you see the impact that it has on the environment, it's harder to continue to um, sort of maintain blissful ignorance and buy that cheap milk, buy that cheap meat. Um, So I think, you know, this, we had this idea that food should be cheap, but the cost of cheap food is on our environment. What changed for you after, after doing this for a year? Um, you know, a lot of things change. I still mostly eat that way. Um, it's nice to be able to have um, a chocolate chip cookie every now and then and <laughs> indulge my sweet tooth. But, um, you know, it, it made my body feel better. I felt fuller. I felt stronger. I, it totally changed my relationship with food in terms of seeing it as nourishment and as um, something that connected me to my community, to my friends, um, rather than this sort of guilt and restriction um relationship, which had is how it was previously. Um, so that changed. And, and by getting out in my community and trying to figure out how it is that we produce food here in this place, you know, I formed a lot of amazing relationships with, with other people in my community who are doing the same thing, who are producing food. And so it became something that impacted every aspect of my life, which I didn't really expect when I started. How, how much did it, how much did it, if any at all, impact the people that you work with? Because, I mean, obviously doing this for a year and then writing about it, and, and as you said, uh, the, the people understood what you were doing. Did it impact them at all? Um, yeah, not really. I mean, I think yeah. I'm always very, um, very cautious of inflicting my diet upon anyone who doesn't want their, right. it to be inflicted upon them. And so I was, people were mostly very, um, gracious with my, um, choices, but, um, yeah, I think I certainly had a few friends that because I kept talking about this, they would oh, I think I'm going to start reading the ingredient label on everything I buy, or um, I'm going to stop buying this processed snack that I always buy. So I definitely think that kind of bits and pieces, people, their behavior was changed. 
in terms of all the all the things you did during the course of the year, what was the the one or two things that were the most unique experience? I mean, you mentioned about obviously making your own flower. Uh, what else really kind of uh, were the things that you you remember the most? Um, yeah, the the biggest thing I did was um, I mentioned that I was a vegetarian. I was actually raised by two vegetarians, and at the end of my year, I took this workshop where I, along with um, half a dozen other people, helped to slaughter, butcher, and process a sheep. Oh, jeez. And that totally transformed the way that I saw meat. Like I mentioned, um, I think that there's a qualitative difference between the meat that we're buying at supermarkets that comes from anonymous animals who are produced like commodities and meat that comes from animals that are raised like animals and that we treat with that reverence and respect of, of eating a living thing and all of the resources that are embedded in that production. And so having to process the meat with my, by myself with my own hands sort of forced me to reckon with being a meat eater in today's modern society. And so that, you know, ironically didn't cause me to be a vegetarian. It just caused me to be much more judicious in the meat that I eat. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.